Axis Mundi. You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our amazing lineup of creators. Welcome to Straight White American Jesus. My name is Brad Onishi, faculty at the University of San Francisco. Want to spend today talking about uh, something you might have seen on your social media feed or in various outlets, and that is the new anthem of the week for the American right. It's called The Rich Men North of Richmond, and uh, it's by an artist named uh, Oliver Anthony, and uh, it's catching a lot of attention. Uh, Going to go through in a moment all the kind of famous talking heads and politicians and others that have really commented on it, talked about it being the new anthem of the working class and this kind of stuff. Um, Anthony, the uh, the artist, is uh, an off-the-grid farmer, somebody who lives about an hour from Richmond in a rural enclave of Virginia called Farmville. And uh, if you listen to the song, which I have, it, it's, it's clear why it's hit a, a nerve. His voice is textured, and it is full of pain and anger. It's a, a sparse track. It's, it's him playing his guitar. His voice is really kind of crying out over the single guitar uh, with no accompan- accompaniment from other instruments. And there's really no mediation. Uh, as, as you may know by now, this is a track that was recorded by him in a very uh, minimalist manner. Uh, there's no studio. There's no professional engineering. There's no accompanying violins or orchestra. There's, no, uh, there's seemingly no mediation between the artist, his message, and you, the, the audience. Uh, now, the song's appeal, I think, comes to what it cuts out. That minimal, minimalism I just discussed is really the song's uh, shining light because without the professional studio mixing and the melange of instruments and voices, you really just have a very clear forthright message about the supposed plight of the working class in the United States. And uh, a lot of people have taken notice. So uh, here's Carrie Lake, failed gubernatorial candidate from Arizona, who continues to uh, peddle the big lie and her own big lie about winning the state. I can't listen to Oliver Anthony's Richmond North of Richmond without getting chills. It's raw, it's true, and it's touching the hearts of men and women across this great nation. Uh, one of the, there's others who have commented on this. Joe Rogan called it authentic, or he said, uh, you can't fake authenticity or something to that effect. Um, there's many others who've been commenting on it from the Jack Posobiec's to uh, other right-wing kind of talking heads, Benny Johnson, those types of people. Charles Lipson uh, wrote this at Real Clear Politics. Whatever you think about populism, left or right, the lyrics are worth paying attention to. In those three minutes, you'll learn more about the anti-Washington grievances than in hours of reading erudite analysis by journalists who visited flyover country from their homes in Georgetown, Cambridge, and newly fashionable Brooklyn. So according to Lipson, uh, this is an anthem that will teach us about the, the authentic working man, the people on the ground, the populist 
sentiment of real Americans. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, not to be outdone, said it this way. This is the anthem of the forgotten Americans who truly support this nation and unfortunately the world with their hard-earned tax dollars and, incre and incredibly hard work. So I just want to take a couple minutes and go through the uh, lyrics of uh, the, the song and provide some commentary and uh, see what we find. So here's how, uh, here's how it starts. And I actually encourage you all to listen to it. it. You may not be the kind of person who wants to engage in right-wing media or something, but, you know, it's a song and it does, it does change things when you listen to it. I can't play it because I think uh, I'd end up having to pay for Oliver Anthony's rights and royalties, and, and then uh, he would be one of the rich men near Richmond, and uh, the whole song would be negated. So I don't want to do that to you, Oliver Anthony, uh, so I won't play it, but y'all should listen to it. All right, here, here's how it goes. I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for BS pay, so I can sit out here and waste my life away, drag back home and drown my troubles away. So if you ask me, this is pretty standard sentiment in country music. I've been selling my soul, working all day. We could go to Dolly Parton's 9 to 5. We could go to uh, someone who's not necessarily a country musician, but is certainly considered a musician for the working man, and that is Bruce Springsteen. And we might find lyrics that are pretty similar, right? I've been selling my soul, working all day, working for some corporate overlord, overlord or... or uh, rich man or, or someone, some kind of big wig, and I'm just a regular guy out here doing my best, right? Overtime hours and my dollar doesn't go far. So then I get home and I drown my troubles away. I drink or do other things that kind of numb the pain and then I do it all over again. It's a, a life, as Thoreau would call it, of quiet desperation. So we've had these before. This is nothing new, nothing actually quite anything notable here for me. And, uh, and yet, I think it's one of the reasons the song is taken off is because this first verse is so kind of a universal. It's, it starts you out with a kind of well-worn and, for many at least, uh, inviting set of themes that, you know, tug at, tug at their, their heartstrings, tug at their situation, whatever it may be. Now, here's the next part. It's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me and people like you. Wish I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is. Oh, it is. Okay, so now there's some things here that I think are, are quite interesting. It's a damn shame what the world's gotten to. All right, so the world, you know, is not how we want it. Okay, well, I think a lot of us could, could talk about that, and we could talk about all the things in the world that are not how uh, we want them to be. So, okay. But then he says, for people like me and people like you. So this is always a place where I want to like stop, okay? Because I want to ask myself, well, who is me and who, who is unlike me? Who are the people like us and who are the people not like us? Because what the song is now entering is a situation where it's, it's speaking to only certain people, right? Only certain people who have a certain kind of situation or lifestyle or identity, for people like me and people like you. All right, so now what I'm going to be thinking over the, the course of the song is, well, who, who, who are the people like me? Who are the people like you? And who are the people that are not? And maybe it's the people who are not like us that are making the world into this terrible nightmare because he says, I wish I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is. So the people that are not like me and you 
are the ones perhaps creating the nightmare. That's, that's what I'm thinking as I uh, listen and read uh, at this part of the song. So that brings us to the chorus. Living in the new world with an old soul, these rich men north of Richmond, Lord knows all they just want to have, total control. Want to know what you think, want to know what you do. And they don't think you know, but I know that you do. Because your dollar ain't shit and it's taxed no end because of rich men north of Richmond. All right. Some of those rhymes sound better when they're sung. Uh, we'll just say that. But let's, let's go back to the top of the course. Living in the new world with an old soul. Now, we just kind of had this demarcation between people like me and you and all the others. So I'm, that's still on my mind. And then he says, living in the new world with an old soul. Now, this could be just simply a, a kind of trite, cliche line that's like, yeah, we live in this modern world and I'm an old soul. I, I, I like the, the things of the, the, the olden days. Okay. But for reasons I, I'll, I think, get into in a second, uh, I think this is also a, a part in the song that many on the American right are going to read as encoded with uh, significant layers of meaning. Living in the new world. Now, here's the thing, y'all, and some of you know this, some of you don't, but for the last however many decades, many on the Christian right, many in evangelical circles, uh, many in conspiratorial spaces, whether it be QAnon or uh, Satanic Panic or the John Birch Society, there are many, many places where people have continually been warned about the new world order. The new world order of globalists who want to destroy God's plan for creation. The new world order of globalists who want to destroy the, the particularity of the American way of life. The new world order that will lead to the rise of the Antichrist. So, listen, again, you could say, well, no, this is just a cliche, a cliche line about being an old soul. But living in the new world with an old soul, to me, and again, I think further down in the song, there's reasons that will, uh, to, there, there's, there's evidence here that will help buttress this interpretation. There's a little bit of code here, living in a new world with an old soul. Hey, I'm an old soul. I don't want the new world order. In fact, I like things how they used to be. I like things when they were good. I like things when life made sense. For people like me and you, I like things when America was great when life was good, so on and so on and so on. So then who's to blame? So now we're getting somewhere, okay? We're going to get now to uh, the part where we figure out who's really kind of ruined everything. And it goes like this, these rich men north of Richmond. So th this is a, a kind of, uh, I think, clear reference to uh, Washington, D.C. And it's, again, pretty common to have, especially people on the American right, to use D.C. as this symbol of everything that's wrong with the country, the deep state and the bureaucrats and the, uh, the politicians and all of those folks. And the claim is this, they want to have total control, want to know what you think, want to know what you do, and they don't think you know, but I know that you do. So again, I think it's not only people in DC, but it's these folks who want a government that is so overreaching that it's totalitarian, right? So again, we just had a reference to the new world, and now we kind of come into a clearer focus that the new world is one in which the politicians in Washington, D.C., they want total control. So this is obviously uh, uh, an argument against big government, 
a government that is uh, too uh, involved in people's everyday lives, government that has a say in things related to uh, all kinds of different issues. So this is, seems to be a, hey, the issue here is big government because what they want is total control over what you think and what you do. And they don't think you know, but I know that you do. Now, I guess for me, one of the interesting things that just I couldn't get out of my mind as I, as I thought about this verse, or the chorus, I should say, is going back, and some of y'all are going to think this is kind of a, a strange reference, but going back to Cambridge Analytica, and you're like, what? I remember that. And it kind of rings a bell. And Cambridge Analytica was the, the, the data firm that was engaged by right-wing politicians in uh, the UK and then eventually the United States. And it was a data firm that used data from social media to, to basically build uh, intricate files on voters uh, in the United States. And uh, I interviewed two, uh, 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 I should say, I interviewed a filmmaker uh, named Kat, uh, Katerine Galane or Katerine uh, Viken, and who made a film called The People uh, You Know. And it, it includes uh, Ann Nelson, whose book I always recommend, The Shadow Network. And in this film, basically demonstrates how uh, one of the strategies in the 2016 election was to have these incredibly intricate profiles of voters such that one could take advantage of things in their lives by way of their churches. So one of the ways you got the data for these profiles was the things that people would put in their, uh, their like attendance cards uh, at their church, that they're new members, here's their address, here's they're married. They're age 36. They are recently divorced. They have two kids, but they also might be interested in attending a group for recovering alcoholics or for single mothers or for people who uh, have battled cancer. So all these churches had a ton of information on people and they fed them to this analytics firm. And that analytics firm shared them with Republican Party officials who then used it to kind of prey on those aspects of their life and to hopefully harvest their vote. So one of the things I just think is so fascinating here is that uh, there's this cry in this song about total control, and they want to know what you do and what you think. And, uh, you know, <laughs> for me, one of the like touchstones of this is actually the uh, attempts by the Republican Party itself to uh, harvest votes by way of this micro-targeting uh, that it has engaged in for years when it comes to social media and church attendance and data and so on and so forth. Um, I'll get further down on this as we go, but uh, anyway, that sticks out to me. And then it, it, there's a hard turn, though, in this course. It's, it's actually quite interesting because it, it, the, the first part of the course is really about the government being totalitarian, but the second part is about your dollar ain't shit and it's taxed to no end because of rich men north of rich men. So it's, it's kind of like your dollar doesn't mean anything and it's taxed to no end. Um, so, I, you know, I guess here's the idea. The politicians want to know everything you do. They want to know everything you think. And then they want to tax your dollar to no end and your dollar isn't worth anything. So I guess there's a kind of mix there of like the, the government is totalitarian and the government is taxing everyone to no end. And that's, that's the problem, right? So if you, if you asked me at the moment, we're at a place where the, the diagnosis of what's wrong with this world, this world where he dreams things would be better and he could wake up and it wouldn't be true and he could 
just live in a place where the world had not become like this for people, quote, like me and people like you, is these government overreach, the totalitarianism, the taxing, the so on. Okay. But then, you know, so you're thinking, all right, well, sounds like a country song. What's the big deal? A lot of country songs like this and get the government off my back. Don't tax me. Wish the good old days would come home and wish my, the working man could make it in America. All right. Well, who cares? However, uh, it, gets, it gets more and more kind of political as we go. So the next part says, I wish politicians would look out for miners, miners as in people who mine, like a coal mine, and not just miners on an island somewhere, miners in this case being people who are not yet adults. This is clearly a reference to Jeffrey Epstein's island. And I wish politicians would look out for miners and not just miners on an island somewhere. So it's the idea of, I wish politicians would look out for the good old boys who work in the mines, but instead they are focused on miners. Now, I think the reference here, as I've thought about this and read a lot and you know all that kind of thing, is that a lot of you know elites have been linked to Epstein, whether it's Bill Clinton or whoever else, not to mention Donald Trump. So not just miners on an island somewhere. Okay. So now we're really getting into a part of the song that I think is actually the most important. Like verse two to me is where this song actually gets quite interesting. And I'll just be honest, quite incoherent. So to this point, we have this like, hey, the world is terrible. It's a shame what's happened to people like you and me. I live in a new world order. I have an old soul. And the problem is this overreaching of the government. All right. So let's get into more particularities. What does it look like on the ground? What does it look like in this situation, this nightmarish situation of America? Well, verse two is where we start to get a picture. Politicians don't look out for minors. They look out for, they, for minors, minor underage people on an island. Okay, so Epstein, Trump, elites hanging out with Epstein. That's a whole thing. Now, there seem, I just need you to keep this in your mind. There seems to be a reference here to like human trafficking and concern about that. And the, the idea that the rich men north of Richmond are the ones engaged in this kind of conspiratorial act. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, all the stuff related to Jeffrey Epstein is the most disgusting and dire stuff that we, all, we can see in kind of human action. So uh, I'm not arguing with that. Uh, but if we put this all in context, we kind of start to get a, a view of the politics here that are being put forth. Lord, so here's the next line. Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat. Okay, so, yes, we do, period. <laughs> we, we really do. Now, here's what, when I read, when I listen and hear that, and, and I, I read it, here's what I think. I live in Northern California, and income inequality in this part of the nation is the worst uh, nationwide. Uh, we have more millionaires and billionaires in this region than anywhere, but we also have so many folks who are unhoused and people who are working jobs, making what would be considered middle-class money in some parts of the country who can't afford rent, who uh, live in uh, RVs and campers on the side of the road, not because of anything other than the expenses of living in this part of the country are so, so high. And so, uh, yeah, we do. We have people who are in the street and they have nothing to eat. There are a lot of folks who are unhoused, who are hungry. We have children who are hungry. And I don't disagree with any of this. Okay. But the next, the next part is really, is really interesting to me. So we've got people in the street and got nothing to eat. Now, 
it doesn't elaborate. There's no elaboration on that. There's no sense of like, hey, um, it's these rich guys north of Richmond that could do something about it. Or it's the billionaires I just mentioned who maybe if we tax them, we could do something about it. Or um, if we did things to curb I, all kinds of situations in the country, private equity and real estate or the capital gains tax. I don't know. We could get into it if we wanted, right? People in the street, nothing to eat. I hear you. Inflation has been hard. The pandemic didn't help. A lot of wealth going to folks in uh, the higher echelons of the country, the 1%, a lot of wealth not going to working people. All right, I'm on board. However, here's the very next line. And the obese milk and welfare. Well, God, if you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bags of fudge rounds. Gotta say, this is like the most specific uh, part of the song, like mentioning fudge rounds, I guess needed something there to rhyme with 300 pounds. So here's the, here's the next part. Okay, we've got people with nothing to eat, but then we've got others who are five foot three and 300 pounds and our tax dollars are paying for their fudge rounds. Okay, so it seems now that as we get into this part of the song where we have a particular diagnosis of the nightmare of the United States in 2023, we have politicians looking out for miners on islands, but not miners. There's folks in the street who have nothing to eat. And then we have the obese milk and welfare, people who are 300 pounds and, you know, supposedly buying junk food with their, uh, with their welfare checks. Now, to me, I'll just be very honest, as I think about the artist here, somebody who lives in a rural part of the country in is is some is sometimes uh, labeled an off the grid artist, somebody who doesn't live in the kind of mainstream of society, and somebody who's decrying Washington D.C. and urban center. I'm not going to lie. I am just inclined to when I see the word welfare here to see it as code once again that there are people who are lazy, there are people who live off the government, there are people who don't want to work hard, and so our tax dollars are going to them. Now, it's a, it, to me, I, when I first listened to the song, this is the part of the song that I just really perked up to because I was just like, wait a minute, you just spent like the first two, two and a half minutes of the song decrying like rich people and uh, they're on Epstein's Island. And then it's like, yeah, and, and people don't have things to eat. And then we're going to take shots at folks on welfare. That's part of the problem. So again, I think for me, on one hand, if you want to know why this is an anthem of the American right at the moment, well, here it is, taking shots at welfare, taking shots at big government. Yay, that's, this is like a, a, a who's who of talking points. On the other hand, this is such a great point to stop and say, okay, here's how it works. We're going to talk about how things used to be great, but they're no longer great for a lot of reasons. One of them is all these lazy people who are obese and living off the government. Now, it's hard for me, and I know if I sat here and interviewed uh, uh, the, the artist, uh, Oliver Anthony, he would not, he would deny it. And, I, and I, I get that, okay? But it's in the song, and here's my interpretation. Y'all can agree with it, you cannot, you can think I'm reaching, you can think I'm not. It's, it's all good. You email me if you'd like. Um, happy to, to discuss. But when you talk about welfare and people who are lazy, it's hard not to think about all of the ways welfare has used, been used as a, a dog whistle in the past. Ronald Reagan is one of the most famous, along with James Dobson, 
to talk about wel welfare queens, basically a welfare queen being uh, a single black mother living in an urban area. But there's just this sort of general sense that welfare is for people of color or black people when uh, many on the American right are talking, that welfare is for the lazy, welfare is for those who won't help themselves. So this feels like code. And I just want to point out that in a song that's supposed to be decrying the rich men north of Richmond, you really felt the need to put in this, this bit about welfare, right? And this is, I've said it on the show before, I'll say it again. Capitalism, especially racialized capitalism, teaches you to punch down in order to feel better about yourself and think that, that, uh, that, that uh, the remedy would be if everyone below you got in line. In this case, the remedy seems to be, well, if all these people who, who are living on welfare would just work hard, uh, we wouldn't have this. And yet you just told me a, a verse ago that working hard doesn't get you anywhere, that working hard is about uh, BS wages and uh, drowning your troubles away, wasting your life. So it seems like when you say people like me and people like you, there's folks who work hard, don't make any money and are complaining. Uh, and uh, they're the good ones. And then there's others who are on welfare, and to be on welfare um, is, is to be one of the bad ones. And again, in a song that's supposed to be at the rich bureaucrats and politicians who are ruining the country, why would you take a shot at somebody on welfare? Because what you've been taught and what people like to think is that, yeah, if we just fixed all these lazy people living off the government, then that would be better. Or I pay taxes and I work, why don't they? right? The, e the easy out is to say the people who are not like me are the people who don't work. It totally disregards that welfare is often, right, something that is in place to help people when they are in a place of vulnerability to prevent them, right, from being unhoused, from being separated from their family, people who cannot work because of injury, people who have had uh, traumatic events in their lives, who have endured violence, who have gone through things that mean that there's a spot, there's a moment, there's a period, there's a chapter, right? Where government assistance will help. And I'll just say this plainly, I don't have time tonight to go into this in detail. Uh, I hope that I, I'll do this in the, on the pod again uh, soon. I've done it in the past. I'll just say like, we have a situation in this country where yes, there are people who do commit welfare fraud. They do. They do. It happens. There are people. I, I actually know some people okay, who are part of my distant family, who I think, yes, could very well get a job. There does not seem to be anything preventing them in terms of health, mental health, physical health, anything. But nonetheless, they are living um, on government assistance. I, I know that. I'm not denying it. It happens. And guess what? When I lay awake at night thinking about what's wrong with the country, I don't think about them. And it's not because I, I, I don't think that it's a problem. It, it, it may be a problem. You know what irks me more? What irks me more is the fact that uh, according to Americans for Tax Fairness, 26 of the richest people in America paid an average federal income tax rate of just 4.8% over six years when the growth in their wealth is accounted as income. So 26 of the richest people in America from 2013 to 2018 paid about 5% in interest uh, excuse me, in taxes, when uh, we think about uh, their wealth counted as income. Think about your tax rate. It's probably way more. 
let's give some more statistics. The 26 billionaires' collective wealth grew by 500 billion in those years, while their total federal income taxes were just 24 billion. Uh, we could talk about people like Warren Buffett, J Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Charles and David Koch, Michael Bloomberg, Elon Musk. Are these the rich men north of Richmond that you're talking about? Are these the men who mean that your dollar doesn't mean much? This data doesn't even include how they got even more wealthy during the pandemic. So what keeps me up at night is this. It is the billions and billions of dollars every year that uh, are not collected in taxes from the ultra-wealthy, not, uh, you know, the, the people who are committing welfare fraud. And I will just say, and you're like, well, come on, let's do the numbers and what's more and what's less. And here's what I'd say. And this just comes down to a philosophy of governance and politics and human life. I'd rather live in a society that extends a, a safety net to people who need it. People who are struggling, people who are in a vulnerable place, people who are trying their best, people who are enduring hardship. I'd rather pay taxes into a pot of money that says those folks are receiving some kind of assistance, some kind of safety net, some kind of help so that they can stay housed, so that they can keep their families together, so that they can raise their children, so that they can get on a path where, yes, eventually they may find a path to a career, to a job, and to not being on government assistance. I'd rather live in a world where that is available than one in which it is not. I don't lay awake at night worried about the fraud in that system. There will be fraud. There will be. It's built in. It happens. Yep. There's people going to take advantage of it. But you know who takes advantage of it that we don't see seemingly in this song? At least not in the way that they're named. I mean, he's referencing vaguely the rich men north of Richmond. And then he's talking about like 300 pound people with fudge rounds. It gets very specific here. Like the anger seems to be at them. Not that like Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg or whoever. I'll give you another stat that keeps me up at night. This is from Bernie Sanders uh, press release from last year. Every year, auditors find billions of dollars in the Pentagon's proverbial couch cushions. In 2022, the Navy audit found $4.4 billion in previously untracked inventory, while the Air Force identified $5.2 billion worth of variances in its general ledger. CBS recently reported that defense contractors were routinely overcharging the Pentagon and the American taxpayer by nearly 40 to 50 percent and sometimes as high as 4,451 percent. Let me decode that for you. There are people who are contractors for the, the military, not military themselves, who are charging the government 40 to 50 or way more percent for things they're building or making for the military than they should cost. So instead of it costing $100, they are charging $200. Or in the case of the military, in, in, instead of it costing $10 million, the thing costs $20 million. Whose money is that? That's your money. Do you go to bed at night? Mad at that system. Do you go to bed at night thinking that we spend more on military budgeting than the other 15 or 16 top uh, countries in the world combined? The $5.2 worth billion dollars worth of variances in the Air Force or $4.4 billion in, uh, in uh, the Navy, that's a lot of money. And guess what, friends? It's about 10 times what amounts to uh, welfare fraud every year in the country. So I'm just saying, 
when I think of this song and I think about uh, people who are supposedly living off the government and eating fudge rounds, I, I, they don't, they're not the ones that make me angry. And it really seems like you got off course because those are not the rich men of Richmond, the rich men north of Richmond, I should say. Um, the, the other lines uh, of this verse are young men are putting themselves six feet in the ground because all this damn country does is keep on kicking them down. I'll just say here, he does say specifically young men, and he does seem to be mentioning uh, death by suicide. And again, you can see why this is a, a song that speaks to the American right, because there's a kind of appeal here to masculinity. Oh, if, if we could allow men to be men, maybe they wouldn't be uh, so sad. The, the, if we men were allowed to be men again, then the country would stop kicking them down. So then we get the chorus, Lord, it's a damn shame what the world's gotten to. For people like me and people like you, wish I could wake up and it not be true. He then talks about living in the new world and, and uh, having an old soul. These rich men north of Richmond, they just want total control. So I guess in my mind, if you want takeaways here, on one hand, it's very clear. This, there's a reason this is a, a big hit with the American right. It touches on so many talking points. It references child trafficking. Um, there's a part in the song... That, that mentions these islands and in interviews the the author has or the, excuse me the artist has talked about child trafficking which is a talking point of conspiracies and uh, many kind of dynamics on the the American right from QAnon to to other other aspects it it also touches on the the film Sound of Freedom which came out about a month and a half ago it mentions masculinity it mentions welfare it mentions how people uh, are being taxed too much i mean it's it's pretty easy to see that this is a song that kind of hits on all those talking points on the other hand i'll just finish by saying this i think it kind of hits at some of the incoherency at, at the heart of the american rights view of the world and and christian nationalists included it in one hand it's supposed to be all about the elite rich people who've ruined the country and yet the man who's leading in the polls to become president from the Republican Party is a man with a golden toilet. The song seems to be about rich men who want total control, and yet it blames people who are getting government assistance. There's this sense of like, yeah, get the elites. But in fact, the people that are really to blame are what? The people below me or the people who are struggling or the people that are lazy. They're the ones that are destroying things. There's sort of references to conspiracy and, and again, child trafficking and so on. So anyway, you can see the incoherency here. We want to fix things by draining the swamp. But draining the swamp doesn't mean actually getting rid of that government excess, the, 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 the elites, the billionaires that are part of the 1%. It doesn't mean taxing them. It doesn't mean a fairer playing field. It doesn't mean any of that. It means complaining about a government overreach, talking about how uh, working people can't get by, and then sort of filling in the rest of the picture with these right-wing talking points. So anyway, that's my interpretation of the song. That's my decoding of it. I'm sure people will have different uh, takes on that, but I just wanted to offer my thoughts. As always, friends, we could use your support. We do this three times a week. No outside funding, no grants, no university support. So if you can, think about being a patron or Venmo or, or pay, PayPal. You can find us at Straight White JC. You can find a link to our merch, which we uh, are pretty proud of in our link tree. You can find episodes in our catalog at straightwhiteamericanjesus.com and search because we have about 500 episodes and we've covered everything 
uh, that you can think of. We'll be back Wednesday with It's in the Code and Friday with the Weekly Roundup. But for now, I'll just say thanks for being here. Have a good day. This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast.